You're listening to the Audio Was Better podcast with Laura and Brittany, the place where romance audiobooks get amplified. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Audio Was Better with me and B as I stumble over my own words. <laughs> uh, one day I will write her a script. One day. <laughs> We're scriptless people. Nobody expects that from us. Um, we are coming at you all things Audis this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we're excited to AC each other. Yay! Um, but we're also excited to be around um, an industry so equally obsessed with audiobooks as we are. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so we're doing a little bit different. We're not going to have our normal more uh like first segment. We're just going to get you right into our chat with Michelle Cobb. She's the executive director over at the APA. We'll talk all about her job. Um, and she gives us a lot of great information about um, the audio publishers inter- industry. No association, not industry. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um. And the audience yeah, in I think if you if you plan to stream the awards on Monday night, uh, this will give you a good crash course on how the process works. We are excited to have on the podcast today Michelle Cobb. She serves as the executive director for the Audio Publishers Association. Uh, she's been a board member and a director on the board since 2001, so she's got a plethora of audiobook knowledge. And we thank you for okay. for making some time with us today. <laughs> Well, great to be here. As the APA, we'll just use that acronym since it's a little bit easier on, easier, on the mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you support the industry in general and then more closely audiobooks? Sure. So, you know, the APA was set up many, many years ago, 1986, um, to really help ensure that the format of audio was getting its due. So that comes through education about the format to people within the industry, to the book people, to consumers, to potential narrators. It comes with a lot of research being done and education around, you know, what's changing, what's happening in the format. And then, of course, a lot of networking because, you know, we're an organization that is set up to support publishers and help to grow the industry through press, through research, through all of those things. But we have lots of members that are not publishers. And they there's lots of programming that's done for them. We, we spend a lot of time thinking about what we call associate members or affiliate members, um, even though they don't necessarily get a vote in the elections, as it were. But really, they have very much stake in, in what we do as well. Awesome. So I guess for you, when you, and this is just sort of a level set for us, when you're, so something that would maybe be audio specific, but isn't an audiobook is what? <laughs> it could be a play. It could be an original program that never came from a print component. Uh, it could be, you know, uh, something that people more think of a, in a podcast world today, sort of like documentary sound. You know, when we started in 1986, and granted, I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been around a long time, but not quite that long. Uh, podcast didn't exist, right? There was radio, yeah. and there was this product, an audiobook that you could purchase. But it was, it was lectures, it's, you know, poetry, plays, and today, a lot of people are creating original product that may never come out in print. It might be kind of that old audio drama style thing. It might be an oral history. There's, you know, a range of things. And because the industry has grown so much and there's so much interest in audio product, everybody has a little bit more freedom to try new things and they're doing so. Amazing. And so how do you, and I know, I know this mainly just because I'm, when I get involved in something, I hyperfixate. So like, how do you interact with say like PANA? Like, I know that if you're sort of around, you've heard of that professional um, association for narrators, like how do you guys partner or how do you coexist? Yeah. I mean, we are, you know, friendly and partnery with lots of different associations. So book associations, narrator associations, podcast associations, basically wherever we can be supporting the format of audio, we want to be there. And so, you know, it's great that there's an organization that exists to support narrators specifically. And we hope that 
they would be members of both associations. So, you know, we have slightly different missions and slightly different things that we focus on. But I do think that there's room for lots of different professional associations. And ours is very much thinking about how to grow sales on some level, uh, which I don't think, you know, Panna isn't focused on that necessarily because they're not thinking about what the publisher does. They're thinking about what the narrator does. And those are both really important things. So we're doing a lot of research. We're doing, you know, the awards to help raise the profile of audiobooks and audio product. Uh, and it's different missions, but all with the same goal, I think, of supporting the members of the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that definitely that definitely tracks because obviously, like they're going to be focusing on like how do you support new narrators and and getting their their um their booth set up or you know getting access to studios and that kind of stuff and and classes and training and coaching. Yes, but we do. We have lots of educational events as well. We have new narrator workshops. We have a mentorship program for narrators. Um, our, you know, big piece of what we do is educating all of our members, regardless of what constituents they're from. But one of the big things we do is we try to bring publishers and narrators together. So we have a session called Quick Pitch. We just had one today, in fact, where we have 24 narrators come and they have about three minutes to talk about what they do, tell us a little bit about who they are and their background. And that is done for publishers and producers who are looking to hire narrators. And then we have a meet the producer session where you get to sit down one-on-one with a producer and, you know, find out, usually do a little reading for them, find out a little bit about what they're thinking about when they cast. So we're trying to give you that, you know, uh, access into the publishers, into the narrators and the narrators into, into the publishers. Yeah, I have done the, uh, the quick pitch before. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Although I feel bad because it's so nerve wracking. Yes. You know, yes. you're just like, it's me. I've, I apologize to everyone who has to look at my face for, you know, four <laughs> minutes. But I just tell people like, we're both spotlit. So focus on me so that you're just talking to me and having a conversation with me. And then, you know, I sit there and drink my Diet Coke and, um, you know, try to yeah. respond appropriately with the face. Uh, and then I ask the questions that the producers have, if there's time for a few questions, kind of in the chat that they chat to me. So it's very, very fast. And, yeah. you know, it can be, it's just, I really feel for narratives. You can tell who's really nervous. And yeah. it's like this four minutes of your life of like coming into a room, talking for three minutes and departing a, you know, a virtual room is not going to be the end all. So if you just try to have a little bit of fun with it, I think people yes. do a little and bit I think, better. Yeah, I think that was the fun part was little, some people got creative and yes. I was like, this is this is good this is good yeah we've had poems and yeah. you know <laughs> it's it's really a chance where you can talk about your background so today's theme there's always a theme like I remember one year it was everyone was a singer uh and today's theme was definitely baking so we heard a lot about cakes mm. and cookies and I've been locked in this chair since about um, noon. Today. You're really hungry. <laughs> and all I want to do is like go eat cookies or cakes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's fun. You mentioned um, sort of the creation of the Audis was in an, in an effort to elevate the form. Obviously, that was in the 1990s where we didn't have social media. We didn't have the ready access to the internet. Correct. So um, really want to talk about like what what's the impetus? Like how did it really come to fruition? Were there other organizations that were doing it and you guys partnered together and sort of how did the audience come to be? Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't around in those days either. Um, but I think it was really wanting to recognize the good work that was being done and coming from the book world, there were lots of book awards. So there was nothing specifically for audio. So when you bring in audio, there's a lot that you're thinking about, right? the narration, the sound effects, the music, the, you know, the technological uh, quality of the recording. And as the years have passed, what we've seen as an industry is how important awards are for recognition of a particular format, right? So we want to be the Oscars of the audiobook world, right? And what we've seen is that by working together with a strong publicist from an entertainment background has really helped us getting uh, an MC who can 
um, you know, sort of raised that profile. Like in the old days, I think, you know, my former boss at BBC, who's unfortunately no longer with us, like he and some of his industry cronies were the MCs. (laughs) And it's always funny because choosing that host is always a process. And with the strike this year, it was like, we thought we had someone and then people come back to work and it's like, oh, I don't know if my schedule is going to work out. And I'm super excited with who we have uh, now. So it's, you know, it all works out, but you're trying to like bring that person together, make sure that they're going to talk about it on social media, mm-hmm. making sure that everyone knows about that. We now broadcast on, you know, streaming the the audits and all of these ways in which we are trying to raise the profile of the awards, but in raising the profile of the awards, it's not really about that. It's about raising the profile of the format and the industry. And it's funny because we've done things, you know, we split the audio awards from the conference one year and people were like, it was not a happy thing. <laughs> but we, you know, we'd done it very mindfully. Like the board had discussed, we had a narrator on the board. Everyone decided that having it with the conference at the same time as Book Expo, we were losing momentum. People didn't see our awards because there were so much conversation about books. Mm -hmm. So what would happen if we brought it to the entertainment time? You know, when you're doing the Oscars and you're doing the Mm -hmm. Golden Globes and people are talking about entertainment, could we raise the profile? And so that was the decision that was made. And people got very upset. It's like, you are splitting this. I'm going to have to travel twice to New York. It's like, it's, it's actually, we're trying to do this so that we can get more visibility. Yeah. And it worked. And, you know, and this year we're going to be in Los Angeles. And again, we have a large constituent of narrators that live in Los Angeles, of course, getting people who narrate books who are also celebrities in different ways to a venue in LA. Turns out it can be a little bit easier than getting to someone in New York. So, you know, again, people were like, oh, now this time it was a little publisher pushback for people that don't live in New York or for publishers that are in New York. They were like, what do you mean I have to leave New York? So, (laughs) you know, we, we can't make everyone happy. But what people have to remember is that what we're thinking about is how are we going to get more press? How are we going to get more visibility? And, you know, those things and changing and moving, it works. And to be frank, from the, you know, running things and the headquarters perspectives, way harder when we change the location each year and we change the format. We've had dinners, we've had, you know, cocktail parties. This year, we're going to do the cocktails and food after. And if that works out, you know, we might try that in New York and do things a little earlier. It's all within the service of trying to make the event as, you know, approachable for the press as possible and as something that they want to cover. And so people think the decisions are about them personally, which I get, but I, I, you know, I guarantee you, it's not about any one person. (laughs) My life would be so much easier if we just did the same way all the time every year, but that wouldn't get us the stories that we've gotten. And it wouldn't get us the interest from hosts who are willing to put this on social, who help us raise the profile. So, you know, I just ask everyone to mindfully know that we're, we're thinking about everything. Yeah. It's not about any one person. <laughs> um, as someone that has a journalism background, when I went to the Audis last year, um, I was like so impressed. Because there was like, you know, there was a red carpet and there were like reporters and photographers. Like it was, it was a big deal. I, I remember I, I talked to, because again, I feel like when you're a former journalist, you see a fellow reporter and you're just like, hey. And I remember <laughs> I, I talked to the the guy from the Associated Press and he was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, and even they thought it was cool. Well, I have to say we, you know, we also run the headquarters team, uh, a number of us run the podcast academy as well, which does the Ambies. And so we worked with a different production team for the Ambies. And what it did for us was like, oh, we have learned a lot. What are the things that would work that we did here that we can apply to the Audis and all of those learnings have really helped us kick it up a notch the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. there was a musical number. I I mean, it was festive. It was festive. 
Yeah. And honestly, I think I think from even just from a reader perspective, the the simple act of having it streamed in the last couple of years, a it was probably a little bit necessitated from COVID, but like the fact that you've continued to keep it going, that does then allow the people that are consuming said media a you know access to to viewing things that win, but then also again just the ability to feel like you're in the in like a little bit in the industry, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's what we want. We want people to be there in a variety of different ways. And I think one of the things COVID did was teach us about accessibility in different yeah. ways. And, you know, we've tried to take that lesson to heart. And, um, you know, I want to continue to stream it. Not cheap, but always worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, just being nominated for an Audi, I'm sure, can like raise sales. I'm curious, like, what are you seeing from your end? Well, what's great is that we actually have a number of retailers that reach out to us and that make sure that we give them an embargoed list, for instance, of the finalists before it comes out so that they can prepare on their website to feature and highlight uh, these awards and who, you know, not just the winners, ultimately the winners, but the finalists as well. So, you know, we do social media um, and it's funny, it's funny to work with publishers. It's sometimes hard to get like every handle possible, but we do ask like, you know, give us the handles so that we can tag people. And of course, since we're, you know, having it on YouTube, um, we do things like little clips, you know, that uh, people can use. And also if they, they want to create their own, we're happy to help them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that kind of moving more into the process, uh, obviously having had some, some background this year. Um, Thank you, by the way. It's a lot of listening. I I watched the the streaming for a second time last year and I told myself, I'm going to, I'm going to submit whether or not I get chosen. um, That's a whole other thing. But like, I was like, I'm going to at least throw my hat in um, because I've talked to, we have a bunch of friends who have done various categories and different levels of um, the preliminary judging versus final judging. So I got some feedback and um, I had a great time, but I think for you, like, the nomination process, I know I was in erotica, which was lo and behold, he's nice for me because I already read in the genre. <laughs> yes. It's harder to get judges for erotica than some of the other categories. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the nomination process, like I know I was also a preliminary judge, so I got a fair amount of books to listen to, which, yes. was, which was great. It was it brought me authors and narrators that I hadn't listened to, but like for you, how does it go from nominations to, say, me um, as the preliminary judge? Sure. So the first thing that happens, we have two rounds of submissions. This is where the publishers or the rights holder, or if you're a narrator, you can uh, get permission from the rights holder to submit. You actually self-submit your title into the pool and you're choosing your genre. So, you know, it is funny. Sometimes like we'll look at it, it's like, hmm. I don't really think they meant to submit that fiction title in nonfiction. So we do help you correct if you have gone astray. Uh, But you submit your titles into there. There is a fee, uh, which helps us offset the costs of the awards. Um, We we lose money on the awards every year, mindfully, because it is a marketing cost. Um, And so it goes into that first pool and it goes to the first set of judges. And the first set of judges... They are listening to at least half an hour of it, and they're making that initial assessment. You know, does this have a technical problem? Is this miscast? Um, Is this, you know, just never going to reach the level of being award worthy? And a lot of the, you know, that's where a lot of the things get run out because there's a very clear technical problem. Um, you know, that's that's where it would get run out. So there, that's a set of judges who are all judging independently. So they are scoring the titles as to whether or not should move on to the next round. And we do two rounds of that because we have people submitting titles for about nine months of the year and then another three months of the year uh, in the end. So after two rounds of that, you have created a list of kind of semi-finalists, we might use that term. Then that goes to another set of judges, and they are required to listen to the complete audio title at regular speed, 
no listening quickly to things. Um, and so that's another set of judges who, again, are independently scoring things to say, this is what we think is best. And then those numeric scores are used to create a list of finalists. It then goes to another set of judges and the finalists that that's a much shorter, smaller round. Yeah. <laughs> Some, you know, finalist judges, there it goes. Uh, and so usually there's five titles that are finalists. Sometimes there's six, sometimes there's four. Uh, and then those judges are, are scoring again in a slightly different way. Just, just, you know, the criteria is all the same. You're listening for the narrator. You're listening to make sure the direction is good. You know, is the, it, does everything come together in the right way uh, with a heavy emphasis on the performance? Because we are here about audiobooks, the source material of the print material or non-print, depending, um, you know, the script in some way is obviously going to have an impact. That content is important, but also, you know, we're really thinking about what the performance is. Uh, so then that's gone through a third set of judges. So if you win an audio award, you will have had your book listened to by a minimum of nine judges. And at least six of those will have listened to it completely. So if you think about, you know, we get 1,600 submissions, you know, mm -hmm. it is a lot of listening. And we cannot yeah, thank the judges enough because <laughs> they, they are committing to really sit down and spend time with these titles. Yeah. And re-listening, she said 1.0. No speeding yeah. up, y'all. Come on. <laughs> you can't you know as as much as we want to get things done in a day for me and i understand there's many reasons why people would want to listen at different right. speeds i want to hear the performance and in order to really absorb that performance part of it is the pacing and if you are listening at a faster speed you're not getting that initial yeah. pacing yeah agreed no, yeah, I think that that's, I mean, honestly, you know, we've, we can have this conversation and we've had it within our own listening community about the pros and cons and all of that. And at the end of the day, this is performance based because I do believe that people that are listening, it's mostly just for cognitive, like catch up and how their brain works. So um, we respect that they need to do that, but that's not what this <laughs> Yes. Right. <laughs> about. Or they've run out of time. Right? Yep. They, they really want to listen to something, but there's only so many hours in a day. Exactly. And to go back to Libby like tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I do like we, we can you, you uh, mentioned sort of the shepherding of titles into their correct category as an erotica judge. I will say that I think that that specific term is very broad to a lot of people. Yes, we will be yeah. we will be very frank in that. And so like, I would be listening and I'm like, this is an amazing book, but I would, I as a person wouldn't necessarily quantify it as erotica. And I think like this is maybe where we get a little bit more cognizant of the romance and erotica listening community. And how do you as the APA maybe sort of see those two being similar yet different and books falling so, into those? Yeah, we generally leave, you know, we're, we're sort of matching what the publisher has tracked that book as on a retailer, right? So if they're saying this book is erotica, it might be less erotic than some romance out there. And you know, I'm a small independent audiobook publisher myself, mostly of erotica, right? Mm -hmm. So it was very funny when we set this company up more than a decade ago. What's the line, right? Mm -hmm. Because we had a regular line. What makes this romance versus erotica? And at the time, we said, okay, if it's menage a trois, it's in erotica, you know, th there were just things that we yep. said, this is more, or if they say certain words mm -hmm. more than 10 times, that's erotica, you know, again, we were usually following what the print publisher was categorizing at the title as so that they would stay together. But there is a lot of self categorization. So if the publisher is selling this title as erotica, that's really falling within the erotica. Yes. Is it super wide? A hundred percent. Yeah. I know. I know um the erotica category had gone away for a little bit and then it came back recently so what was kind of the change there yeah good question so erotica was really hot maybe you've heard of this little book called 50 shades of gray <laughs> I, so, I i have never read it actually never read it no, so that really boosted that genre and a lot was being published in it so at the you know a number of years ago we added that as a category and the board 
goes over each category each year and says, hey, do we want to keep? Do we want to add? You know, what are we looking at? Um, so that was added. And then each year you look at how many titles are submitted in a particular category. And there was a point at which that fell off. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't make sense to necessarily have them separated anymore. Well, maybe you've heard of this little thing called the pandemic. And the, <laughs> there's a lot of romance. Yeah. That's one of the fastest growing genres in audio. So we, we saw a lot more submissions in romance. It's like, okay, how can we make it more um, manageable for the judges? Okay, let's split out erotica and romance. Each of them are big categories, but now they're each a bit more manageable so we, yeah. we shall continue because <laughs> I, mean, I think like any and for us we will I, like i'll this is the year that i'm starting to explore outside of romance like you know like there's a whole world <laughs> But yeah, so many of us came in through romance in the pandemic. And so we get very um, singularly focused on that genre. And we, as listeners, support a wide range of indie authors all the way to trad pub authors. And so um, we obviously, if you see these, you're trying to like process like, well, what's the thought process? And I think that for a lot of us, we are seeing the romance category is maybe leaning towards, I don't want to say explicitly, like sort of cleaner, less explicit. I I mean, but I think and then last what? year, I think it was, I think it was last year we saw it, it was a lot of where indie authors really thrived was in erotica. Yeah. And what's interesting this year, I mean, we have five finalists in each yeah. uh, category and, you know, we have independent mm -hmm. publishers in both categories or both uh, categories. So, yeah. So I think that there's, it provides a little bit more opportunity and that's all good. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it's really just sort of where things this is only the second year it's back. And again, like in these last two to three years, just the physical amount <laughs> of romance that's coming out. Um, and maybe in a couple of years, it'll it'll settle into more, you know, concrete, you know, categories. But um, I think for these last couple of years, it's mainly been uh, growing of what really fits there versus what doesn't. Because um, just like any subgenre, I'm assuming um, if you go into young adult or middle grade, there's there's your deep, like super specific subgenres. Like for us, it's like, you know, paranormal versus contemporary versus like all of the different historical and all that stuff. And they all have to fall under this big main genre. So, right. <laughs> That's where bisect codes come in. We we turn to the book industry study group to help us there. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to touch on um, just to pick your brain as someone that's been um, in the industry for a number of years, I'm curious on what you see as future trends um, and kind of what you're seeing. Sure. I think, well, if you want to talk about romance, I think the trend has been that we see more than one narrator in many, many titles now. That's pretty typical. Many romance books are, are built with two different perspectives, whether it's first person or third person with a, a male perspective and a female perspective or two females, a male, whatever it is. Uh, we're seeing more and more publishers honor those different perspectives by having different narrators. And there are some books that weave in dialogue with different people. Most still kind of stick to that chapter by chapter. Uh, but that's something we see overrepresented in uh, romance more than other genres. Mm -hmm. Across the board, we are seeing more of those multicast, more dramatizations, which are a lot more expensive to produce. That's where you have that interaction, whether they record people separately and narrate or uh, edit them all together, or if they have them recording together, done both ways to excellent effect in both cases. Yeah. We do see more of that. And just this, there's a lot more audiobook original titles coming to the forefront. Uh, and we're seeing a growth in non-English language titles that are produced here out of the U.S. It's still very small, but that's a growth area. Those are all things that are happening. Plus, I will say, I've been pleased to say that over 50% of the U.S. population in 2023 said that they had ever listened to an audiobook. So that was very exciting to get more than half the people listening. And we're in the process of doing our consumer survey now. So fingers crossed uh, that will continue to grow. Because plot twists, listening to an audiobook is reading. Who knew? It's Who reading knew? with your ears. Like, you know, that's all it is. Still reading. And now we have the data to prove it. So Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I've really, I've really enjoyed um, every book. Like right now, I'm listening to a Tiffany G- D. Jackson book, and it's multicast, and it's got yeah. podcast elements as well as like journal entries and that kind of stuff. And like last year, I did um, Case and Calendars, uh, Stars in His Eyes. As folks choose to move outside of romance, they will see that some of those same things that they really enjoy about listening to romance audiobooks are being picked up in other genres. But um, I think for me, like the addition of that dramatization, especially with with graphic audio, like the the company yeah. that owns that is really leading the way um, in that. And honestly, like as an aside that I just thought about, like I will say that I think as I was given my first list from from um, for judging, I was amazed at how much they how much care with cast diversity, you know, relationship dynamic diversity, like I, cause, cause again, there's a lot of conversation about how white romance can be. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, the audio publishers, what's been great for me to see is that pre all of these things that have been happening in culture, we have been thinking about this. So I remember in 2018 meeting with, we need diverse books and saying, you know, our issue is that we have more diverse casting to do and not enough narrators coming from diverse places. And we can thank the pandemic for introducing more performers to the idea that they could supplement their income by doing audiobook narration as well. So we've seen more of that, uh, which is great so that you can be, you know, authentically casting wonderful. Um, Our roster of members to the APA is definitely more diverse than five years ago. And just everything that's being cast is more diverse. And you you remind me of another little sub genre that I've seen now, which is podcast elements in books. Yeah, I, books written about podcasters, books that you know have things from podcasters. I listen to a number of titles in the mystery genre. And I'm like another one about a true crime podcaster. Okay, someday. Someday this will be done. I enjoy them all, but I do have that moment of like, oh gosh, here's another one. <laughs> well, our friend, well, Brittany here produced a book that had a podcast element within it, and yeah. they did some um, some nice sound effects did. and that, yeah. that kind of stuff. It was so. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Now, but I can imagine though, if you're a crime reader, all the crime pot, it's like romance and like hockey. Like it was just too much for oh, a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I love true crime podcasts. So I naturally gravitate towards these books that are sort of written like true crime podcasts. But I'm like, oh, here it is. All right. Get my head around it. This is not a podcast, but got it. All right. Yeah. I'm we're, like, we're not actually trying to solve a crime. We're trying to solve a fictitious crime. Okay. <laughs> exactly. And because, you know, I'm, since I'm such a big true crime podcast listener, they, they never seem to actually solve the crime. I, no. Know. No. Yeah. There's a few up and vanished their, you know, first season. I always tell those guys, I'm like, I appreciate that you solved the crime. (laughs) People went to to court over this crime. Amazing. Love it. Uh, Well, I'm going to ask sort of, of all the categories that we've seen for this year, what category, what what category are you most excited to to see the winner of? Whether or not you probably already know them, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously, audiobook of the year is always, uh, you know, such a range of titles, because we're thinking, not just about the narration, but the sales and marketing It's kind of bringing everything together in a nice way. Um, So that's really interesting. I'm very excited that we have non gendered narration categories this year. I saw that. So instead of doing male and female, it's best fiction and nonfiction, uh, which is really great for us to be able to honor the fact that there are many different people who identify in many different ways. So we're really thrilled um, that that has come come to play. And, you know, Dion Graham is like half of one category. (laughs) Sorry, you know, three-fifths of one category. Dion is a freak of nature. And I mean that in a very respectful way. Well, he is, amazing. you know, he is my boyfriend. Um, amazing, he's everyone's, yeah, everyone's audiobook boyfriend, but uh, yeah. he just called me his type A girlfriend. So, you know, I'm like, I did sort of roll my eyes when I saw that. I was like, oh, you know, I, I can't tell him, but also like, Dion, let everyone else play. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> 
he's like, I can't, I can't help that my performances are just the best. I know. But who knows? You never know. Is that like going to be hard for the judges? Like, will that end up yeah. sort of splitting his own vote without him knowing? And they, you know, like you never which, know. Which version of Dion do people like more? I guess we're going to find out. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or, or it'll go to, you know, um, let's see. Uh, Michelle Williams. That, that's who Michelle that's Williams is. Or, or Eduardo Ballerini. <laughs> so, right. Well, I love him too. But I think something like that is a testament to the fact that a narrator can bring completely different elements to each individual performance. So yes, yeah, and that and yeah. that every work can be its own unique, um, unique styling and everything. So I know I wished everyone could win everything, but it's it's fun to go through this process and to see, you know, what ends up being the winner. But also to see like who the finalists are, like who's on the red carpet. It's such a, a a great time of excitement and celebration. So I hope all the finalists feel that even if they don't win, it's still an honor to be a finalist and that they get to celebrate uh, the great work that they've done, which is true for the narrators, the people that market these titles, you know, the cover designers, the producers, and, you know, all the way down to the, the people who are prepping scripts and doing the post-production. There's so many people involved that we only give, you know, there's only one award. Actually, it's two. <laughs> we think about giving one to the, ask. we sort of suggest that the publisher give one to the author and one to the narrator. Um, but there's so many people involved in these productions and they really are such collaborations. And we see that in the industry so much community, so much support, so much collaboration. Uh, I just don't see it anywhere else uh, but within audiobooks. Um, I, you mentioned the event itself. I did tell Laura, I want us on the red carpet. I want her as Joan Rivers talking to people about the fashion. Um, and if we get the APA's permission, we would love to. But I, 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 I love my it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, I mean, you feel free to, to to bring your mic and you can know. chat it up. We're, we're just <laughs> working with the venue today to try and figure out all the red carpet um, areas so that mm -hmm. people can, you know, we want to make sure all the nominees get a, a chance to take a picture on the red carpet. Um, and the lobby has a nice space. Um, when you walk right in, there'll be, you know, our logo there so you can take pictures there. Uh, and then hopefully everyone can sort of like have their makeup and everything survive well through the ceremony because we're not eating until afterwards this year. So uh, yeah. trying something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the red carpet looks last year were so good. So good. So. And it's such a range. Like some people yeah. are, you know, you got your tux and your full ball gowns. I will tell you, I think we're going to have a wedding dress this year on the red carpet. So looking I forward to it. that. Right. Um, you know, so all of these things and people, some people come wearing jeans, like you can wear anything. Yep. <laughs> we, we, we encourage you to like step up your game a little bit. Uh, and I spend all year looking for something that I can run around in mm -hmm. and be comfortable in, but can take a decent picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, the I can only imagine the like the back end of the day. <laughs> okay, if, all I can say if, is afterwards I'm going to go to the desert for three days and hope that no one speaks to me. Yeah, no, I was going to say I hope by the end of the night you have a really large cocktail. So, yeah. Okay, well, we're having a champagne toast at the end, and I'm hoping they'll just like put a bottle aside for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Michelle, thanks for having, thanks for coming on. Um, we had a great time. I'm excited to let the rest of the, the listeners hear my experience as a judge and all the things that I've learned and maybe things that I would do different personally. My my calendar got a little out of control at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I hope that oh, we can't wait to meet you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's I know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to figure out my shoes. That's the big, I've, I have my dress, Same. but I have no shoes. I don't know oh, what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'll see you on the red carpet. So speaking of the red carpet, Laura, what are you wearing? Um, I am wearing clothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, if anybody has met me at a bookish event, um, you realize that I am extra, like extra, extra. <laughs> what? Are you wearing a full evening gown? She is, people. She is. <laughs> I mean, I was really like, I literally messaged Joel Frumkin. I was like, are we going to get to hug in real life? Like imagining whatever masterpiece that his 
his husband was going to great. And he said that just with all of the narrators at sea cruise, he just couldn't swing yeah. it this year being on the West coast. So yeah. unfortunately so many hugs that won't get to happen this year because it's in LA but if it was in yeah. New York I wouldn't be going so oh, yeah I'm so excited because a lot of smaller narrators that I chat with like casually that mm-hmm. aren't really big in romance and like sort of are getting into romance more or are a niche sort of like niche narrators in romance mm-hmm. um, are going to be there so I'm really excited to meet people that I've been chatting with um, yeah. that are not necessarily the big names I'm honestly like I've met those so those big names at signings you know, like yeah. I want people that don't get invited to signings. Yeah, I'm excited to see Mackenzie Cartwright. Uh, that's the one person I re- I rarely see, so I know that she's going. Because yeah, I feel like you haven't seen her since like Book Bananza two years ago or something. I know, like that. I know, I know. So I'm so excited to see her. It should be fun. It should be fun. So we just heard from Michelle um, about the general process, the judging process and all that. And so I want to talk to you guys as listeners, mainly, um, if you're a narrator or an author, feel free to take my um, my judging advice with a grain of salt. But like, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, maybe I want to be an audience judge. Mm -hmm. Um, That was me last year. Mm-hmm. So welcome. Yeah. Um, the first thing is, is making sure that a you're following all of the APA socials. Get on at audiobooks. I think is them on Instagram. That's their main form of communication. Um, and then get, try to get like their newsletter from their website. But around I want to say July, it's like summer ish. They'll put out a call for judges. Um, you'll submit a form. Um, you will have to express sort of what you do in the industry obviously i review things on social media i do not get paid for anything that i do i have no connection directly to production um so those things kind of start to uh hinder eligibility as you get closer and closer to the production side of the books um you can express what categories you're interested in i think you can say if you're not interested in anything, but I don't know, like, I feel like I said yes, yes to romance and yes to erotica, but I was fully prepared knowing that I potentially might right. not get this. Yeah, because I know, yeah, you have to be prepared for that, because I know people that have been judges, assuming they were going to get romance, and then they got thriller, or, well, yeah, I ran into, um, uh why can i not remember her name i want to say it's kaylee and i can't remember i'm so sorry but you i I ran into her on the plane and we were talking about it and i was telling her that i had just gotten accepted and she's like one year i was doing male narrator of the year finals Mm -hmm. judging and she's like it was rough to get through (laughs) um so you have to be mentally prepared to get placed in a category that is not i felt very lucky (laughs) yes yes it's very very rare but it's a good note, though, that Michelle said that they are, it is hard for them to find judges for erotica. Now, why is that? That's not for us to say. But uh, I, but I think that's a lane. So, yeah. Yep. And I had heard also, just through conversations with other judges, that you will never get the same category two years in a row. So, again, like, if, if I submit myself again... This year, I have to mentally know that my my preferred categories are even down to potentially one with romance. Um, and then you do get to um, provide your preference on preliminary judging and final judging. This is where I didn't necessarily know too much about it. I knew after the fact when I got places preliminary. Um, preliminary, it's it preliminary is the commitment fully. Like I'm not saying that final judges aren't really important because that you are that final gateway, but preliminary judges. You have a lot of responsibility. I had 34 titles. Yeah. And in, in how much time? And I got those at the end of September and they were due January 10th. Oof. Okay. And that's including all of the other listening that I want to choose to do. I want to do my ALCs. I want to do my r- traditional author promo. Like if you go back and you look at some of my um, my like monthly wrap up graphics, like you can definitely tell the books that were likely Audie's books because they weren't necessarily my normal reads. Um, but you really have to be diligent in slotting in at least a couple of weeks. So I loved being a preliminary judge because I like finding new authors and new voices. Um, 
And then your final judge, again, as Michelle said, you're likely, your list is likely only five or six, but I do believe you have a much shorter time. I I submitted my books on January 10th and they made their decision probably within that week. And then they had, when did they have uh, the finalists announced at the beginning of February, it felt like, right? Yeah. I'm looking on Instagram right now. It was January 30th. Yeah, so you have probably like three weeks to read the five to six-ish books, whatever is in that final. But as a preliminary judge, I will say like I had 34 books and I had to pick seven as my top. Ooh. So if this this is probably the biggest thing. A, you, you, as Michelle said, you have to be able to listen at one. If you're not somebody who could physically listen to 30 books at 1.0 speed. Um, and what, what else? What, like, I think that like you have to be able to be critical. I think that if you and I, like I appreciate the people that every book is, starts as a five star. I appreciate you. You are doing the, what the authors need. Um, I am just not that woman. <laughs> so when you're judging, you're just picking a seven. You do, do, do you have to rate them on like, is it like a score sheet or? No. So you go, like I went into a system and you essentially just had to pick, you had your list of 30 ish book, you know, your preliminary list. And you had to pick seven that moved into like, your checkout essentially gotcha. so, like so, you, you, so you so you didn't put your seven in any kind of like like ranking of I your mean, did i on a, did i on a spreadsheet yes of course you did yes of course you did but i'm saying for the award so they just no. take the seven okay gotcha okay interesting yeah and honestly if i am going to be like so the seven that i picked one two i think three are in the final so it's like and that's the thing is like i'm not the only judge um, so of, you know, of the ones that you pick, you hope that everybody else sort of all the other preliminary judges feel the same way you do, but you know, there were books on there that I thought either were better performances or the combination of performance and story really made it into it. So, um, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts because I, cause the erotica versus romance thing is a little more clear now that we've spoken to um, Michelle. It's obvious that they don't have, I guess the word is correct, like certain criteria on what makes a romance um, and what makes um, something uh, for the erotica category, but it's all up to what the author who submits or the publisher but i'm curious for you was it harder to say yes to books that you didn't personally think felt like they were in that genre oh definitely definitely like i were there was definitely like i had if you guys know me in real life i'm a spreadsheet queen like i had my spreadsheet it also helped me keep track on how many books i needed to read um and i also put like the length because there were some books that were like 24 hours long so i'm like i gotta knock this out yikes yeah. And like I had a note like at the at the end, like I had my scoring, I had my personal spice rating, you know, that's for me for when I eventually put it on um content. But like I had notes and I was just like, this doesn't necessarily read as erotica, you know, this does like this leans more into the genre. And obviously I think for the APA, they are so ingrained with publishers that they are honestly not thinking about indie authors. They they mm-hmm. just aren't right now. Um their volume is publisher volume. Um, and so that's what they're, you know, she's mentioning like, it's what the publisher markets at it as. So the author is the publisher. So if you are an indie author listening to this and you're like, I have this really great book, I'd love to submit it. I mean, feel free to DM me and I can talk to you about like what I felt from, from the erotica, but like, I feel like the more explicit it gets, it leans further into erotica. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you have some abnormal, like last year, I definitely feel like that could have been very true because last year's romance felt very trad pub, very mm-hmm. cartoon cover, light and bubbly. Yeah. Um, And this year with the inclusion of Butcher and Blackbird, that kind of like turns it on its head a little bit. That is the indie, you know, sort of the, the big indie darling, I think in that yeah, um, particular category. Um, But I feel it's really... It's really like, I don't know, like, I don't want to say that erotica is easier because to me, erotica wasn't easier because you had 30 titles that, you know, mm-hmm. we were judging against. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think erotica is personally where more diversity is at 
from the list that I saw, I was also as a judge, you do have access to the other lists. So I was I felt very fortunate that I got to see who was nominated yeah. for audio book of the year and that kind of stuff. So looking at those lists, erotica was super diverse mm-hmm. um, for other for other categories. And so. For those reasons are because traditional publishing and authors of color. And that's a whole other conversation. But yes. Yep. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah, so um, but I think I mean. I think it's if, if especially if you're an indie author and you've got a book coming out this year and you're just like it's so or you're um, a rights holder who still sort of interacts with indie authors um, and you're just like I you know you feel a certain way you're like this is a romance book with you know like one explicit sex scene go romance go romance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think the books that are in that have made it to the top of erotica do have at least the essence of, you know, f- you know, like good amounts of explicit sex, as you would think an erotica book is. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of them is monster male MM smut. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but michael leslie did an amazing job in that narration i love that like it was a solo narration he carries that book he does that whole entire series and honestly that yeah. was a book if, if you i think i think i did that at the very beginning of january um because i had been holding it off because i'm like well, am i gonna like this is gonna be a book that i'm not 100 percent sure on and i will say I, I did notice in in the romance category and in um erotica there was a lot of solo narrated work and i know solo narration doesn't always get the hype that obviously that duet gets or or duel because again you know i'm biased i work at lyric we have two books in a category (laughs) so that oscar reyes what a gym (laughs) love him can't wait to see him but let's talk general predictions before we get off of this um so i will start by saying not romance not erotica just me personally that if michelle williams does not win (laughs) for britney spears's memoir in best nonfiction, what was the point come on give it to britney the other books in the category, it's a book about Martin Luther King. So I, that hurts me to say. But <laughs> Britney Spears, give it to Michelle. Give it to Michelle. <laughs> um, yeah, let's start with Erotica, since that's the one that you did. Okay. So, I mean, honestly, from, from people who know me, like, I want Salt Kiss to win. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, am, I am who I am. However, like... Every one of these books, like I was, I had done Avery Flynn in the past mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like she was super spicy. Whether or mm-hmm. not, I can't remember. I think I did like Muffin Top or something. It was one of the Brian yes. Polino books that yes. she had. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yeah. And I remember I'm like, this is cute, but this is not super spicy. And so when mm-hmm. I saw her in the erotica category, I obviously brought prejudice to that from her past work. But this book was a super funny but it was like it was a f- sort of pseudo forced proximity because they were like on uh like a ranch doing this wedding reality show wedding and so like they had oh, like o- they only had a week and they were like just like anger like they were mm-hmm. doing it out of spite for like the bride and the groom like it was really like i was really surprised Lance Greenfield did a really good job Kristen Lee did a really good job um and then you have Goal. I mean, Goal was one of my favorites from I last mean, year. I mean, it's just, I, at this point, Miss House will be a nominee for every, <laughs> like, she is two in a row. Uh, last time she had two two books in one category. Like, she's a queen. Um, Goal is just so good. It's so good. And Sabbatical by Katrina Jackson's also very good. This category is hard, but then there's Salt Kiss. Who? Yes. Yeah. So sabbatical was sabbatical is for those who haven't read it, a age gap where she's older. Um, they're they both work in academia and she takes a sabbatical. Surprise. Right. And it's like while she's on this sabbatical, she strikes up this friendship into flirtation with this younger professor. 
Um, and the whole, and I think office hours is in this series. So like the entire like cast of characters is super diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, black Afro Latina, you know, a wide spectrum of, of folks. This is one that I would not have originally like pinned as an erotica book. Mm-hmm. But Katrina Jackson had several that she nominated. So she writes good stuff. She not, does. She does. Yeah, um, Sulk, as everybody knows, is like one of my favorite books of last year. And again, yeah, Soul Eater, yeah. like Soul Eater, I will give purely on the fact that like Michael Leslie had to deliver a realistic, like monster voice. Yeah. That you felt like you could emotionally connect with. Mm hmm. I feel like he did again, that. So. Yeah. It's, and again, it's another solo narrated book, which, I mean, comes with its own. I mean, that's. It's not easy. So I don't know. This category is tough. I can't pick because I just, I can't. I mean, I I mean, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to hope for Salt Kiss, but honestly, uh, having listened to all of these, they are all Mm -hmm. very deserving. I mean, I think like when we get to romance, um, for me, it's a little bit harder because I didn't, I have not listened to all of them. So I don't necessarily know the performances that were delivered. Um, Yeah. I mean, romance you've got will a solo performance from will watt in 10 things that never happened yeah which was one of my favorites of last year he just i'm i'm trying to get to that before we get to the audience (laughs) oh will is so good in that book so good i'm i'm a little taken aback with this audible original the big witch energy like i heard about it when it came out because i think it came out around Mm -hmm. halloween but so I also that, always feel like there's an Audible original in the final. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things where, yeah, I, I expect it. I did um, download it. I plan to listen to it on the plane ride. So don't, I don't, <clears throat> equi- I don't like equate Audible originals with super spicy at this point either. I so. agree. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Butcher and Blackbird, which at this point is the front runner. Yes. We have listened to that. We both. We both agreed that performance-wise, it is very good. Yeah, that's that's my bold prediction to win, uh, is Joe and Lucy in that book. However, shout out to my girl, Kelsey Navarro. Again, another solo narration. It makes me so happy. Um, and, I, and I don't necessarily, I know we've got some friends, like, I know Jody's listened to that book. Um <laughs> So I can't necessarily, I don't necessarily know what the premise is or, and, or I don't know how Sarah Reddy writes on a like explicitness nature. Um, And And then then Christina Lauren. Yeah. Which again, Christina Lauren got me into romance after Fifty Shades. I've not read them in a very long time. So that's another reminder, but for me, this category, I mean, it's Joe and Lucy or Will for me. I, I can't. Yeah, same, same. Uh, for, yeah. for not for not having listened yet to um to Alexis Hall's book, um, just the amount of accolades I do know that it has mm-hmm. gotten. Um, yeah. it's a very close second, but at this point, the juggernaut that is Butcher and Blackbird cannot be beaten. It cannot. It cannot. So those are our predictions for our two main categories that we care about. <laughs> also, Michelle Obama is also nominated. I mean, is she going to be there? Because I can't. <laughs> Do you? Okay. So, like, let's let's think about this. So, Nia Vardalos is the host. Yes. Um, uh, I can't wait to like. Oh my god. I'm, I might watch my 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 big fat Greek wedding on the plane. Actually, I love that movie so much. Is James Vanderbeek gonna be there? <laughs> okay, so for everyone listening to this, who are like, "Oh, celebrities don't go to the Audis," that's not true. Last year, the person that won Narrator of the Year, I can see her face. Mm, it's the Gone Girl. Um, it's the woman from Gone Girl, yeah, right? The, the mm-hmm. actress who played the lead in Gone Girl. She won and she was there. 
I got to meet her for like 30 seconds. She was gorgeous. Um, so celebrities do go to this. So am I saying I'm going to meet Michelle Obama? I don't know. But I mean, last year, last year, uh, Viola Davis was nominated and I was like, I got to, I must, I must thank her for her service, um, for all the things that I love. So I don't know. So we'll see. I, I obviously on the next podcast episode, we'll have to do an Audie's wrap up or when we are back from the award and we're tipsy enough i might be like laura let's record a short recap and post it let's so, go live let's go live and post it yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean there could be some really big names at this thing of which like i also i as like i i have to continually remind hey. is britney i can't never mind <laughs> is, britney- <laughs> is britney spears gonna be there because having a moment y'all i can't um but let's wrap this shit up like we normally do what have you been reading yeah so the last book i read was nine month contract by amy dawes um because i was helping her prep her script and by the time this posts the news will be out so i can say um the book is going to be duet narration but no surprise it's teddy hamilton and aaron mallon and uh fucking amy she's so funny this book has has farm creatures doing (laughs) hilarious things there's a grumpy mountain man there's a heroine who can't who sometimes just says off the wall hilarious shit. It's just really funny. So um that's the last book I read. Currently, I am listening to Unloved by Marley ba- Valentine. I know I'm spoiled. Um, which I am proofing for her. And that is narrated by Zachary Johnson, J.F. Harding, and Michael G- Gallagher. It is I mean, again, it's Marley, so she will have you crying by the... So so this book is not by the prologue. It takes to chapter one. Chapter one will probably get you. The prologue is fine. <laughs> yeah, the prologue's fine. Um, and then the next book I have to read... Uh, well, it's going to be um, Big Witch Energy that I will read on the plane. So that's on my list. Well, I have, I did, the last book was um, Once Upon an Algorithm. I just did a, like a quick review on it. I, like I wanted, like, I was like, I'm looking for STEM books. Like I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for books that like give me that, that I feel seen moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the STEM aspect of this was really great. They're developing an app. So, like, there's a lot of, like, coding language and, like, dealing with the app store, you know. For Laura, that's so sexy. She loves that. Um, But (laughs) I posted a video. There's a really big twist in the, at 75% in the book, and some people just can't get over it. Um, Uh, So, uh, take that as you may. I won't spoil it here. I've spoiled it on that video. So, mm -hmm. if you're interested in understanding what's going on with that, um, wasn't the best, like, the, the STEM was great. The story near the end let me down but uh, i'm currently listening to katie robert who nearly never lets me down <laughs> um i am doing the fifth book in her dark olympus series which is the weird it's like a she calls it a poly knot because not everybody's together with each other but there's sapphic achillean mf like there's all different like relationship dynamics it's, it's like so, it's so much it's so it's much happening four people I, and i like i think that a lot of people um either really get katie or they don't in the way that you know she really openly integrates diversity in terms of um visibility of uh, non-binary people and everything like people either really are on board with that or they just don't understand it like i love what katie's done with this series especially mm-hmm. the overarching mystery oh she's got I love with this series in terms of like who's behind the intended fall of olympus you know like who's the money who's pulling the strings that kind of stuff and she did just release 
um, the big sort of mystery around this is because it's like 10 books. God bless her <laughs> that she's got it in her. But like the last book was always Hermes and you never knew who she was going to be paired with. Um, and oh, okay. um, this idea is this is Hermes is this mysterious sort of quirky black woman who always gets into unlocked, like locked spaces and can like, you know, is very cunning. Um, mm-hmm. and she's recently announced that it was going to be a sapphic trio. So it's going to be FFF, <laughs> but you still don't know who that she's paired with. <laughs> There's so much happening. I, again, I love Katie's TikTok. I find her um, informative and educational and she's a true ally. I will not go into what that means, but she's it. And, uh, but her books, I, not for me, but I will appreciate because are they paranormal? They're not par. So no. So these are all just based in Greek mythology, but everybody's okay. So gotcha okay so those are all alex moorcock and zara hampton brown so they're each doing two characters in this um zara is uh aphrodite and pandora and alex is um hephaestus and adonis not adonis i had a whole pronunciation conversation (laughs) with myself and um but because uh, I do have Midnight Ruin, which is the next book, I'm a, I'm a little behind in the series. I have that for my library, so I wanted to catch up on that. Um, and then I have Erin uh, De La Rosa, Erin La Rosa book from my library called The Plot Twist. Um, and let me, I will just read snippets of the blurb because the blurb is what she's a romance author. He's Ooh. Um, a reclusive landlord who's a former teen heartthrob um, who also apparently is an anonymous online crafter like I love that um, it, that and that is solo narrated by Mela Lee who is a newer narrator that I found last year through Regina Black um, Ooh, she did uh, that uh, the Art of Scandal. Love that book. Um, Mela does a lot of solo narration and I love her in it. So that is what I've been reading. And eventually I'm going to get to this Will Watt book. <laughs> so good. So good. But that's us for this week. Um, who are we talking to next? We're talking to Casey Shay. We are. Casey Shay. We've got Casey coming up. We've got my girl, Megan, coming up. And we've got a whole bunch of things planned in April. And then we're we're at a year. We're almost at a year of this shit, girl. And then we'll be joined by the man, the myth, the chaotic Zachary Weber. He's coming, people. <laughs> he's coming. And I'm not prepared. <laughs> and he's also not prepared. <laughs> but that's why we love him. Okay. Bye, girls. Keep reading. Or boys. 